Welcome to the Cross Knowledge Podcast. Here we discuss the trends, opportunities, and challenges of corporate digital learning. Let's meet today's host. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining our Cross Knowledge Podcast today. Today, we have the absolute pleasure to welcome Dr. Diane Hamilton. She is the author of Cracking the Curiosity Code, The Key to Unlocking Human Potential. She is with us today to talk about curiosity in the workplace, as well as its benefits, talking about the Curiosity Code Index, as well as how to implement and the benefits of it in the workplace today. Dr. Hamilton, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Rebecca. I was looking forward to this. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to kind of start by just asking you, curiosity means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And it has like, what does curiosity mean to you? Like, how do you define it? You know, that's so interesting because so many people ask me that. And I think I've changed a little bit. When I first started studying it, it was more about why do some people ask questions? Why, you know, what is behind the motivation behind and all, all that. But for me, it's turned out to be kind of getting out of status quo thinking, because as I researched for the book and the assessment, I started to find out the thing that was killing companies and hurting leadership were just relying on doing things the same old way and not asking questions, not delving deeper. So to me, it really is about getting out of status quo thinking. And sometimes I I liken it what's happening in the workplace without curiosity to thinking about baking a cake. And so uh, what I mean by that is, so say you're going to bake a cake, right? And you have flour and oil and eggs or whatever your ingredients are. You're mixing the chocolate and the things together and you're putting it in the pan and you're putting it in the oven and you want your cake. But if you didn't turn on the oven, you don't get cake. You get something completely different, right? And so to get that cake in the workplace, our cake is productivity and money, right? That's our cake. We want to get there by we know we have all these ingredients we need to work on. We need to work on engagement and innovation and leadership and communication, whatever all our ingredients are that we know are we know this is critical. Right. So we're mixing them and we're putting them in the pan and we're putting in the oven. But nobody's turning on the oven. And that oven is the spark is curiosity. And if we don't light that spark, we don't get our cake of productivity money. And that's what I've been finding when researching this, that that was the biggest thing that was missing. We hear these numbers of engagement being, you know, 550 billion a year, according to Gallup in the US, we're losing. And all these numbers sound really important. But if we don't turn on that spark, we can't fix the problem. We This ingredient doesn't help us any. Absolutely. And do you find that turning on that spark, is that something that is something that takes work to do? Or is that just like a mind shift kind of to go into saying, okay, how am I going to enter this conversation or enter this moment with the feeling of curiosity rather than kind of how I normally would? Well, you know, that's a great question because nothing that really changes overall cultures in the organization can be super easy. You you have to work on some of these things. And to work on some of these things, you have to recognize what's holding you back. And that was what my research was. It was determining the factors that inhibit curiosity. If you're you go into a meeting, just go, oh, I'm going to be curious for what sake or what to, en- to what end. We have to kind of think about this in a more overall aspect of what is holding everybody back. And it, for everybody, it's a little bit different. And there are different aspects of what holds people back. And so we have to look at the overall culture and realize that it's not just our employees that need to be curious, but our leaders need to be curious. And if we are, you know, there's a great HBR piece on this about the case for curiosity, where leaders think sometimes that they're encouraging curiosity, when in fact, the employees didn't quite agree with that. So having these conversations is critical. When I started to write the book, I I realized that it wasn't just about understanding curiosity. That's great. I wanted to know. I had all these examples of curious things that happen throughout time of how companies have been successful and all these great things. But then I started to realize that I needed to look out there to find out what was inhibiting the curiosity. Because if you don't know where you are, how do you go forward, right? So that's where my research came in, because I wanted to know how can we find out what stops us so we can move forward. Yeah, and we see that all the time as well, that managers and leaders really affect 
the culture at an organization and it needs to start there. And sometimes, you know, as much as we would like to hit the grassroots, which is also equally important, making sure that managers and leaders are equipped to be able to kind of lead by example, as well as, you know, being able to coach others, for example, on how to be curious and how to enter those conversations. But the thing that I'm curious of is, how do you get there? How do you know where you're at today? And I'm saying this kind of leading up to your assessment and your curiosity code index, which I found super fascinating. Oh, you took it. That's right. I did. I did. I took it and I found it, you know, kind of very internally like saying, well, how do I feel about this? You know, for example, like how am comfortable am I talking about my ideas? You know, if depending on what the reaction is going to be and what kind of like maybe would stop me from doing that, as well as if something changes in your work environment. So when you created that curiosity code index, can I ask what was the creation process like and what has been the reaction been from people taking that assessment and knowing how to like that spark, as you said, and how to move forward? Well, those are great questions. I've had great input from it. People are super excited about it. I've given it to, you know, I give it to all different groups from large companies, LinkedIn's and the Verizon's and all these companies that have hired me to do these different things with their organizations. And and I, I, I think though, what's interesting is a lot of people get some insight from this that they just really hadn't considered. So you asked what led, you know, what the process was like uh, before we, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about what you find out from it, but what I did to create it, first of all, I wrote my doctoral dissertation on emotional intelligence and I'd done a lot with uh, different assessments from going through that process and, and loved having Daniel Goleman on my show because I have a radio show that where I interviewed top leaders and we were talking about the value of curiosity was so critical. And he said it was a key competency of the future. Right. And so I was thinking about this as I was writing the book and I decided to put a link out just on LinkedIn initially asking people what kept them from asking questions in meetings and that type of thing, trying to figure out what held them back a little bit. And overwhelmingly, got a lot of feedback of fear-based things. You know, they don't want to look stupid. They don't want to seem unprepared. What All those kinds of things that you kind of would expect. But what I did was I ended up doing a formal research project on this where I sent out thousands of surveys over years and developed these questions in a peer-reviewed way. This is not just a survey I put up on my website and said, hey, take this, this will be fun. This has been published in scholarly peer-reviewed journals, my research, right? So it was really fascinating, though, because I did my factor analysis to determine, you know, what, what what these results meant. And when I came out with these four factors of fear, assumptions, technology, and environment, I was fascinated to see that they were all kind of similar. I mean, there wasn't like fear was way more than something else. I mean, they were all kind of equally problematic for people in some way or another. And so fear has been definitely a huge issue for a lot of people, but the assumptions kind of ties into fear in some ways because the assumptions is what we tell ourselves that we're not going to be interested, that I've done this before, they're just going to give me more work and not pay me, whatever it is that goes on in our our minds of why we don't ask something or volunteer something. And then the technology was interesting to me because you found out maybe you underutilized it or overutilized it. And then environment really didn't surprise me because it's, you know, your family, your friends, your teachers, and everybody you've ever known in your life, basically. So I found out all this great information and I was able to give it to all these large organizations where the training classes have been really fun to see that the, the first half of the training class, we got over their personal results, right? Because they get the, it's kind of like taking a disc or a, you know, an engagement survey or something. It's, it's a 10 minute process to take it. You, you, it's really simple, right? But you're not put into a category of like a DISC kind of thing. You're given a score of how high or low you are in each of these areas so that you have a baseline to know how to develop, right? Because you know, well, I could do a little better here or a little better there. So there's 36 questions and they get this 26 page report. In the training, the first half of the, the training, we go through their personal aspects of what are holding them back. And we we brainstorm with the group, you know, what are good things and what are some of the issues that we need to work on. So we do kind of like a personal SWOT analysis, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. We look at those weaknesses and threats and we go, okay, how are we going to overcome those to create SMART goals? 
because once you know where you stand and what's stopping you, you can create goals that you can work on to develop and improve in all these areas. So we do this with the first half and go over all of our top issues and we all go th- and explain you know, what works for us and what, so everybody kind of brainstorms. And then the second half of the training, we work with organizations issues like leadership issues. Maybe they have a problem with engagement or communication or whatever their problem with innovation. We place those ideas on the board and we talk to the employees and we go, okay, how can we improve these areas for the company by developing curiosity? And that's where you get such great feedback from these employees because they don't really feel comfortable sometimes telling their leader, oh, they need to fix this or they need to fix that, right? But they feel very confident in a group brainstorming, and we create these reports that go right back to to leadership. So you really have the HR people love it because they have this great report they can give to leaders, and leaders love it because it answers all the questions. And I remember in one of the talks I gave for the training class for you guys, uh, we gave an example of um, Disney, of how they went to their employees and ask them, what can we do to improve turnover, right? What can we do to make your job better? And they got great feedback, right? This is that kind of thing. You go right to the source, you get what you really need, you put it in a format where it's like, you know, summarized, and then you can really decide, okay, yes, this is something we could do. Well, maybe we can't do that now because we don't have the money, but that could be something down the road. And you go through this and it really sets the stage for helping improve the overall culture because you've got these these great ideas. Yeah, and I would say the other thing is, is that anytime you're asking the question, like we came back to like managers and leaders kind of starting it from there, they're showing almost that they're vulnerable. Like we don't know. We're asking, you know, how are we going to improve turnover, showing that curiosity, showing that vulnerability, and then getting that back and then knowing what to do with it from there. So approaching that. And that's why I feel like also that the curiosity code index was really great is that it provides more recommendations like here you are almost in like a mind map these are kind of strengths where you are on a continuum and providing that which is like a huge differentiator I feel out in the marketplace today with assessments yeah it really is you know and I think that's why it was recognized by thinkers 50 radar as so unique and I was very honored to be chosen for that group because they considered that the like the academy awards for business thinking right and with all these wonderful thought leaders. And it, it was what's made it unique is there's it's the first and only assessment to ever have done this. Because if you look at the assessments out there for curiosity, they'll tell you if you have high, medium, low, whatever, they give you your range of where you fall. So if you're low, then what do you do, right? <laughs> it's just, well, that's nice to know. Okay, now what? But you know, what's great is you can use those kinds of assessments with what we do. And you could like take a measurement, here I am, high or low. You go through the curiosity code index training, then you take that assessment again, my high or low, you know what I mean? And then you get an idea of the effectiveness of it. And I was working on a research project with Novartis on that particular thing, and that's still under development and all that. But it, it's very interesting to me to see that there isn't more research out there on curiosity. And I'd love to see more organizations do exactly what I just said, do the before and after measurement levels, do the training in the middle. I know when I worked with Novartis, they have done that with engagement. They did, they did you know, the before and after measuring, and then they worked on all these curiosity development ideas, and they saw quite a bit of an improvement on their engagement. So there are companies doing it, but not enough. And I'd like to see more of that. Yeah. And I also think, you know, a lot of companies nowadays, well, at least what we're seeing is looking into individualized development plans for their employees driven by their manager, driven by values. And, you know, where curiosity, I guess my question is like, where does curiosity fit with that? Where you're being able to take an assessment, which is the starting point, and then from there implement it in such as are you being curious when you're entering meetings? Are you being, is it something where you need to ask questions to be vulnerable? What would stop you from doing that? And implementing them in personal development plans, is that something that you have seen, you know, at other organizations? Or I would say, how do you see it being implemented after you've taken the assessment, after kind of, you know, and you've asked the questions 
the long-term kind of like scalability of that and its benefits? Well, that's really a great question because it's very similar to what companies are doing with engagement surveys in terms of you get your levels, you find out where you are, and then it is part of your training and development plan. So it does get incorporated in, we're going to set this goal. We're going to have this and, you know, we're going to talk about it every month. Have you, what have you done to reach this? And you make it as part of the, the whole development process. I train con, uh, consultants and HR professionals to become certified in this so, because they get SHRM recertification credits, which in the U.S., SHRM is the Society for Human Resource Management. We do a lot of training so that they're able to, to know how to not only give the assessment, but train you know, and, and go on and explain how to create these these goals and move forward from there. Now, each company does it a little bit differently because everybody's got their unique preferences for how they do it. So a lot of the consultants and HR professionals set it up in different ways, but I've seen people's uh, reactions to doing this. is It's so much fun because it ties into building empathy. And what works really well with so many groups, I've talked to a lot of sales groups, for example. I mean, salespeople really need to learn to ask questions, right? That's like very important. And I, I have decades of sales experience, so I share all of my horror stories with them and they laugh, you know, but you have to develop the goals based on the position, right? I've talked to project managers as a whole lot different group when I talk to them than when I'm talking to salespeople. Project managers get worried, oh, if I ask questions, I'm going to get off time, you know, when I need to get this and I have to get it from X to, to Y in this amount of time. And they, they forget the opportunity costs sometimes, you know what I mean? And by doing that, you're missing out sometimes. This idea might take a tiny bit longer, but think of what it could do. I think it's so important to look at what some of these companies do that's not just looking within the company. They're looking into outside industries. They could be looking at their employees. I think a lot of problems we see are when they're setting goals or they're looking for answers, they often look in their own cubicle or in their own silo or even in their own industry. And sometimes we have to, to develop this culture so that we're looking all around. We're looking, you know, whether you're a bicycle company, looking at your packaging is similar to a television company's uh, packaging. And maybe that's not working out, but they, theirs is. And why is theirs working and yours not? And, and is, I think that that's what is really hard to answer in terms of what the next thing is, because it's different by industry and it's different by job. So that's the kind of thing that you individualize. So I think looking at that and looking at industry is how you implement, I would say, either goals or objectives around curiosity. Does it vary per industry, per sector, or do you feel like it should be kind of unanimously, like everyone should look at it at a global scale, everyone should look at it across all business, it's only maybe personalized per job role? Like in what way is it kind of differentiated based on market, industry, or, or role? It's just really interesting. I wrote a brand publishing course for Forbes many years ago, and one of the biggest challenges they had with the CMOs at that time was to create a message that was personalized to individuals, but done at scale. Okay, <laughs> so how do you do that, right? And everybody's trying to do that. And now I actually work on a lot of boards, and one of the boards I work on is a global mentor network, which is all the same kind of thing. It's trying to reach people at scale in a mentoring capacity. Some of that's challenging. And what the challenge is, is you have to know the values, the mission, the vision of each company. So it will not be the same for every single company because you don't all have the same mission statement. You don't all have the same vision. You don't all have the same exact thing. It could be similar, you know, but what you have to have is very clear idea of your core culture and culture of all the course. I've taught thousands of business courses when I was an MBA program chair and even when I was a dean and when all the different things I've done, I have written so much curriculum. And what I found is just you, you have to think about the culture from the top. I often get asked this, you know, if the culture at the top doesn't embrace curiosity, can we build this culture from the bottom? And that is extremely difficult to do unless, you know, a very unique few can get a movement going, mostly we have to get leaders to buy in to the top of this and understand that this is something that we are going to not just give lip service to, like they found in that Harvard study, a lot of them think that they're doing, we have to verify we are doing it. And part of that is emulating what we want to see. So our goals 
we start personally as a leader, you know, how can I do this to show? I have to be able to ask questions and say, hey, I know this is a stupid question. People might think it sounds stupid, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because then you're setting the stage for people to know that you're putting yourself in a vulnerable position, right? And when people often ask me, well, I would want to ask my my leader this question, but I don't want him to think I'm questioning his or her authority, right? So a lot of it is how we ask the questions. So I might say, you know, Rebecca, I, I have a question for you. And this is because I'm trying to build my sense of curiosity as part of my goal this year. I, I hope you don't mind if I ask. It's a lot different than, well, why would you do that, Rebecca? <laughs> you know what I mean? I've buffered it. It's it's like an education we always do the, the sandwich thing. You know, you, you, you say something nice, you tell them what they could fix, and then you say something nice. And that's how we really should approach a lot of things. With curiosity, it's such an important aspect of so many things that we, we need to set up in our culture. Because not only after I wrote about curiosity, I also wrote a book on perception. And perception is a combination of IQ, EQ for emotional quotient, CQ for cultural quotient, and CQ for curiosity quotient. So when you're building this core culture, it takes into all these different aspects of how we can understand other people, their perceptions, right? Because curiosity builds that empathy. That's that big part of emotional intelligence that I understand why Rebecca would say that because it's based on, you know, maybe her emotions or her culture, her background, how she was raised and all these different things that led to her perception being different than mine. So when we're setting up this overall corporate goal of how we're going to build curiosity, it ties into this. And I created the perception power index aspect of it as well. So all these things are so critical. I think a lot of companies need to revisit how they're handling their values and sharing their missions. I mean, I've worked for companies that made me memorize their mission statement and speak it on a video and make sure I said it word for word. And I've had others that had put it in big red letters on the wall and you couldn't miss it. And I mean, everybody has their different ways of sharing. But having interviewed culture experts, I remember one of them wrote a book about values and she said in every meeting, they decide, does this, what we're talking about, meet our overall values and our goals of what we're trying to achieve? And if it's not, well, then let's just get this off the table and we're not even going to go forward. And that's another thing you can do when you're talking about how is this tying into getting out of status quo thinking? Are we relying on what worked in the past, like the blockbusters and Kodaks and the companies that didn't find such success later? Blockbuster is a local reference in the U.S., but, you know, the Kodaks, we, we, we have that in our mind. You walked into a store and you got hit by a thousand things of Kodak film, right? Where is it now? The thing is, is the companies like that relied on just doing it the way it worked in the past. And that worked great. And we're just going to continue, right? Whether this digital thing, oh, well, you know, we haven't done that. So that's the same thing. You have to constantly analyze what we were doing with our cultures and our values and our issues in the past. Was it getting us where we want to be? And where do we want to be? And part of that is developing this culture of curiosity, because I'm interviewing a lot of people right now as part of that global mentor network group that I'm in. They're all CHROs in this particular session I'm doing now. And they all are saying that employees are coming in telling you <laughs> what you're giving me for my job instead of the other way around, right? And so for us to be able to pivot, you know, we have to do a lot of analysis. We have to, to wonder why do they want these things? What can we offer? It's all questioning and it's all curiosity. The situation of hiring new employees, I think, is a great one because with the market the way it is today, I think people are more like, I'm not just interview you're not just interviewing me, I'm interviewing you. And I want to spend just as much time asking questions and understanding you as you are me, because it's an investment on both sides. And hopefully garnering that, you know, vulnerability, empathy helps to release some like really good conversations and understanding of one another. Have you noticed any sort of like a lot of times, at least with cross knowledge, we work with a lot of global companies and you're dealing with sometimes anytime you're working with like human skills or soft skills, there is a cultural component. Because I think before you were mentioning about perception and cultural you know, is one piece of that. 
And, you know, I used to live in Taiwan. I lived in the UK for a while here. And it, it is very different about how they approach the workplace and some sensitive matters. Like, like I said, how you're dealing with empathy, you know, in Asia, it's about, you know, making sure that you're keeping face sometimes and being able to understand that. How do you view that impacts curiosity in terms of how you approach it, especially if you're in a culture that is not your own or you're working in a very global workplace where you don't necessarily know what's on the other end of how they're perceiving you? Yeah, that was what one of the things that we looked at in the book, The Power of Perception, because as I said, it's IQ. EQ, CQ, CQ, but it was a process of perception. And it's also, we're going to evaluate, we're going to predict, we're going to interpret, we're going to correlate what we learn to come up with our conclusions. And they're all influenced by that culture, by their their experiences, by all these things. And so that was what we were trying to get at, because we were looking at how can you be a good global leader? And my co-author, Dr. Maya Zelhich, and I looked at that because she had done so much research in all these organizations throughout the world. And she taught Africa, you know, every place was just so different, right? And and if we don't recognize that the culture has to be analyzed, and every time we open up a new branch or a new go do business in a different country, there has to be experience training. And, And some companies actually train the wives of people. In addition, they require that they go through the same training. Because Every culture is is unique. And if you're just expanding in a different area, I mean, if you opening up just even your products, if you don't question what's going on of what the culture likes, uh, say Subway Sandwiches opened up in a culture that hates sandwiches and they, well, <laughs> that didn't work, you know, and that happened, right? <laughs> so, so you have to do your, your research in all these areas and the really good companies do some great training before people become developed into to working in another culture. And that's why I think that you have to have that sense of curiosity because if you go into each unique area and you try to sell the same way, you're, you're not going to have any the same kind of outcomes. Some who I researched for that book on perception were, were giving great examples of different cultures and what it means. You know, some people you know, they don't want you to touch them. You know, some people are, are touchy feely kind of people and they're, you know, you can really insult somebody by doing little things you don't even think about. Right. So the thing that we have to do when we create these programs to go into other cu- cultures is to know how can we, what kind of questions do we need to ask? And their companies are getting a lot better at their training for getting them into other organizations, but they're not doing it as well within their own organization to look for problems that are creating their stagnant growth. You know, I mean, we wouldn't be getting these numbers of 550 billion a year of engagement problems if, you know, cause those are not necessarily a problem with other cultures. That's our own cu- culture within our company, right? That people aren't coming to work feeling like, oh, I can't wait to do this, right? They're, they're just walking dead. And they're like, okay, time to make the donuts was a commercial when I was a kid. The guy just had to make donuts every morning. And it's just the same thing over and over and over. And we, you know, you can have the most boring job in the world. I mean, that the, the fish philosophy was a real popular thing in marketing years ago, where the people in Seattle, their job is to have dead fish all day working with them. And they were making it fun because they're throwing fish in the air and they're doing all these crazy things, right? So, so we, been like, yeah. have you been to Pike's Market? Yeah. 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 So, you know, you, you, you can look at things and go, oh, well, it will, it will never be great to fold laundry in anything. But Disney made it better when they asked them questions about how to make their job better by creating air conditioning over their desk or having uh, their desk go up and down so their back doesn't hurt. Not all jobs are going to be wonderful, but throwing fish and throwing laundry are probably not two of your first choices, right? But we, if that's your only option as an employee, we need to figure out how we can make it better for them. And one of those ways is to go to them and ask them just the way that a lot of these companies are doing now. What can we do to make your job better? That just seems like such a simple question, right? A lot of them ask it and they don't do anything with the answers. I also think that asking questions leads to a mindset that if your company and your manager is asking you, like, well, how do you think we could solve this problem? If the problem is something that they can't easily solve for, 
hopefully they're approaching it from then on out of, you know, they're kind of at the front line, what's happening. How can I make this better? And then they're hopefully going to start giving suggestions to their manager instead of necessarily the manager making like a top down decision that may or may not solve the problem. So that seems to me like a pretty reasonable like reaction. If your manager or people are asking, how can you, how can we make your life better? How can we better improve X, Y, and Z? Then hopefully you're approaching your job saying, you know, I think this could solve the problem. And then giving those solutions and having that solution mindset from a place of curiosity. I mean, that's kind of where my mind naturally goes. I don't know if you agree. No, I I understand what you're saying. And I agree. I think that you know, I worked for a company for 20 years where they gave us an employee survey every year to ask our opinions on things. And I never once heard back that they used anything or that those ideas were good. Or, you know, and, and so, you know, then you're like answering, okay, you're going to mark anything. You're not really, you know, but if you're taking feedback from your employees and you go, hey, look, we got the coffee pot in this room because you guys said it would be better if we did, you know, whatever it is you take from the survey that you utilize a suggestion and say, hey, look, we're listening to you. We made this change. I think that that's the mistake. They probably did use a lot of the data, but they just didn't communicate that they did. And it's not just utilizing what people give you. It's giving appropriate credit and recognition that this is important. And look at what this is what we got from this. And thank you. That's hugely, yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it's like a two-way street. If they're putting in the effort in, they need to show that their ideas are heard and recognized and implemented in order to be effective. Well, it's just like giving any kind of survey or any kind of, you know, I've taken a lot of disk assessments in different companies and they're great. If you utilize them and you continue and follow up, it helps you. A lot of these things will tell you not what you are so much because you kind of know what you are, but to know what the other person is, right? And then you you have to follow up with some of these things. What kind of training are we doing? What kind of questioning are we asking? Where can we go to the next level so that we're not just filling up an hour at the meeting because it's fun to walk and get in the corner and say, I'm a D and you're an S and I'm over here and you're over there kind of thing. Those things are good to know, but how can we go to the next level? And I think we need to ask more questions. Okay, now we know this. I've taught a lot of sales training classes based on DISC and Myers-Briggs and different things like that, where now you know I'm selling to Rebecca's boss who's a yellow on the management by strengths test, or he's a, a, a D on DISC or whatever, you know, you have these different things that we've learned. So I'm going to go to a person that likes data with data. I'm not going to go to him and chat away and be all Miss Extrovert with him. I'm going to go, hey, this is bottom line. This is the number. This is what you want to see. But the next person who is the extrovert, kind of happy-go-lucky person wants to chat, I'm not going to show him PowerPoint presentation of my data because I'll lose them, right? So we have to take what we've learned and go to the bottom line. It's any sales training, they tell you, don't sell features, sell benefits, right? So the, I could tell you, this is great because it's black. You know? Well, it's black, so it'll reflect light and won't get in your eye. You have to go to the next level to say why it's good that it's the thing that it is. And when you're giving people ideas, like let's go to this level, why? What's in it for me? Everybody wants to know what's in it for them, right? And we're making these changes because you suggested this and this is going to help you because you'll have to work less hours or you can have more free time to do this kind of things or you can have your pet projects now uh, instead of having to do XYZ. So we need to communicate at scale. <laughs> we're back to the scale thing, but we have to feel make it feel personalized to them in a way too. So I, I think, you know, some of the people I've interviewed on my regular radio show are like Doug Conant. Doug Conant is known for his Campbell Soup case study in a lot of business courses. I mean, a lot of them. It's because their engagement was in the tanks, right? And so once he started working there, he started talking to people and he started asking them about themselves. And then when they did something great, he'd write them handwritten notes. And he figures, he calculated, he wrote more than 30,000 handwritten notes while he was working there. But their engagement went through the roof, right? They did great. So he asked, he was interested he used his curiosity and it built this sense that he cared. And I think a lot of people skip that part. I actually worked on a company where all the leaders were on the top floor of this building and you had to take, you had a key to get into that level. You couldn't even get out of the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> so think of what message that sends, right? I mean, 
you know, and they never came down. They didn't know who anybody was. And that same company, somebody, I still talk to them all the time. And somebody said, yeah, this guy applied for the job and I didn't even know who he was. I'm like, he's been in that job 15 years. This leader never heard of him. Whose fault is it? Yeah. And it comes back to, I think, a little bit of intention. You know, it's like, what is your intention by doing that? So if you're, if you're, for example, giving your employees a survey or you've decided to put the execs at the top floor and are locking, like, what is your intention and communicating what that is? So with kind of making sure you're asking the right questions, how often making sure that you're, you know, realizing what might be barring those questions from being had. What is your intention? Like as a salesperson, I definitely know, you know, there's been a couple of times when I was in sales, you know, just be like, well, just ask the question, but you're not really listening or caring what the answer is because you <laughs> want to tell them what the answer is. Oh, and that's sales. not that's uh-huh. the right mindset. That's not the kind of, like you said, the the right kind of curiosity that's, that's going to be effective. Well, salespeople are wanting to have the answers. You know, they don't want to ask that question because what if they don't have the answer in their mind and they don't want to look bad? And so the worst thing you can do in sales is to pretend like you know the answer if you don't, right? So, you know, you have you want you're never going to uncover their problems unless you ask the questions. And if they ask you something that you don't know, the best thing to say is, you know, that's such a great question. I don't know the answer, but I can't wait to get find out. I'm going to get it right back to you kind of thing. So, it's that sense of Getting a confidence, because I I think with sales, it's really easy to be afraid of what's coming next. I mean, I was in pharmaceutical sales. I was in mortgage sales. I was in all these different kinds of sales throughout the years. And it can be very intimidating if somebody's asking you stuff that's very complicated. But I've always found that if you are honest and you say, you know, I don't know and I will get back to you. But then you go learn and then that just makes you a better salesperson in the end. So there's a lot of things that companies could improve people by creating more mentorship opportunities for this kind of question back and forth. Because the mentor also learns, I mean, I, like I said, I've taught thousands of courses and every single course I teach, I learn something. So you get, there's this two way questioning. So I'm asking questions in class about their company, which I've never even heard of in some town I've never heard of. And I'm like, I know everything about this town and this company now. So the back and forth that we get from mentorship is, is really critical. What I did when I was MBA program chair, I created my own board of advisors, not the company's board of advisors, but my own as that position. So say a mid-level manager, they, they don't really have access to the big boards, maybe. They, they, they could create their own board of outside influences or even inside people or whatever they think. I picked outside companies and I would invite them to talk to me a few times a year and get insight from other individuals. I got more feedback because they, they didn't have that. They had fresh eyes, right? Because sometimes you're just so in an industry that you can only see it from that perspective. And getting the, that outside mentoring is critical. And a lot of leaders miss out on that. That outside experience also, like you said, it's thinking outside the box. It's thinking not necessarily within the company. With all of this said, you know, kind of implementing this with, as we talked with in development plans, with managers and leaders, with organization, within values, what have you seen at other companies as like a return on that investment? I know like ROI is a bit of a tricky one to kind of measure in this aspect, but, you know, as you've kind of gone through these journeys with other organizations, what have you seen as a result of implementing it? And what has been kind of the range depending on how extreme or, you know, what exactly they did? Well, it, it varies by company. You know, the larger companies I've worked with, like, as I said, like Novartis did a, a definite study to take a look at the exact points that they changed on in, on engagement. So they were, I think, two below the average and they went like three above the average, I believe, of what they were trying to achieve. Now, they still have a lot more room that they want to grow, but they're able to see, you know, by by increasing engagement X percent or X points, we're able to get a bottom line improvement of whatever number. Now, I don't have those numbers to share because they wouldn't want me to, but we have seen data like that. What I'd like to see more of is that kind of thing, because a lot of companies aren't measuring enough. And what you need to do is 
look at the research because you'll see every you know whenever I talk to the experts out there I mean I, I've talked to Francesca Gino and some of the experts who have done some of the data that makes the case for curiosity and when she was on my show we talked about this there's just not enough actual data it's intuitive and most leaders say well obviously if you're working on curiosity, you're improving this and it'll be a bottom line benefit. But the companies are not doing enough internal research. And that's what I'd like to see more of. Because if you could measure the before and afters of going through the training and see how that correlates with uh, productivity and some of these things, because that's similar to what I did with emotional intelligence. I looked at sales professionals and I measured their results based on how they correlated with emotional intelligence. And we saw a huge correlation with certain aspects of emotional intelligence, empathy, stress reduction, you know, some of these kinds of things made a big difference. To be honest with you, there really isn't a lot of data out there. One of the best pieces Francesca posted uh, doesn't have even financials associated with it because nobody's really doing the, the, the research. And that's why I'm getting into this so much, because I want to see more people doing the research. I, I know that that Novartis is on cut, on the cutting edge in terms of, of starting some of that. I've worked with companies like SurveyMonkey, talking to Zane Lurie on my show. They trade in curiosity, obviously, with doing surveys. And uh, I, I think that they're working on some right now. What I researched at Verizon and, and LinkedIn and a lot of these companies are kind of in mid-level process of looking at before and after. My assessment's only been out a couple of years, right? Two, three years, whatever, since I've really launched it. So we, we don't have as much of the after data as I'd like to see. And when I wrote all this, there was no before data <laughs> out there. And it was so frustrating to me. I'm like, where is it? I couldn't believe that there was an assessment that did what mine did. Because I'm like, well, how are you guys even knowing what's happening? So there needs to be more. And I'm open to talking to companies who want to, to do that, because I think there's a good assessment done by Cashton that just kind of tells you it's like 10 questions that tells you, are your employees curious or not kind of thing? You know, it'll give you a level. And then you do the training and then you do that again. And then it's really simple to see if it made a difference on their curiosity levels. You could compare those curiosity levels, you know, if they've changed with your bottom line. Did it help in engagement? Did it help, you know, if you're doing engagement surveys, did it help on productivity? If you're doing different certain, you know what I mean? So there has to be some of that. A lot of people I talk to leaders say they don't need to see the data because it's obvious to them. They could, you know, they, they make, they could tell a big difference from what everybody's doing from the numbers and they've just never actually done the research to, to document it, but they have seen great improvements. In those great improvements, obviously, we talked about stress reduction. We talked about empathy. What other kind of things that, again, as you say, we don't necessarily have the data yet, but have you seen at organizations by implementing these measures in the workplace? Like, what are other, the main, main, main benefits that you've been seeing, at least, and hope to gain that quantifiable data on? Well, back to the cake example, all the ingredients, a lot of it are soft skills kind of things that you're going to see improvements on. You're going to see communication is going to be a huge thing because once you started to ask people questions, your perception is going to be different. Yeah, I, I can't tell you when people will call me and say, somebody said X, Y, Z, and they say it in this real snarky voice. And I'm like, um, can I see what they said? <laughs> Is there an email, you know? And I read it and there's no snarky voice. There's nothing. It sounds fine. You know what I mean? And so there's some of this stuff that the soft skills, we, we paint a picture. We, you know, if you look at perception and you get most of the picture, well, you fill in the rest of the blank in your brain, right? But if you get more questions out there, then you may fill it in differently because you know what their intention is more. You know that it wasn't a snarky comment. You know because you've asked. And I think a lot of people just make assumptions because I would have said that in a snarky way. So that's probably how they're, they're intending it, right? I think this is something that my co-author on the Perception book and I've talked about a lot because she'll say something like, yeah, it's not a zebra. I think this is really happening. You know, if you hear hoof prints, think horses, and she tends to think zebras, right? And we've talked about that where I'm like, it sounds like a horse to me, but a lot of people will jump to this zebra 
based on their experiences. Maybe they've had a past boss that did something that makes them feel that way. You just don't know what everybody comes to the table with. So we have to ask these questions to the communication is, I mean, think of the numbers you see on communication problems. How much money is being wasted on people arguing? You know, and you're wasting your time and their time and your boss's time and HR's time and everybody's time is being wasted. So we know that alone, building that empathy will build the communication process, which is just that alone would save companies so much money that it's worth it for that. But it, it ties into engagement, innovation. Think, how can you be innovative if you're not asking questions, if you're not looking at what worked and what didn't work? I've had a lot of people from Google and different things I've interviewed. I've talked to people from Steve Wozniak to Steve Forbes. You know, I mean, everybody who I've talked to on my show Ken Fisher, you name the top names of the top companies, the billionaires out there like Keith Crock of DocuSigner, whoever I talk to, they all are super big at asking questions. I mean, everybody from the board I was on DocuSign with Keith Crock's group, they were companies like Sony's and McDonald's, all the CEOs of like, there was 250 people, I think, on this board with me. And they were just the top, top of their class, right? <laughs> Who you'd want to be in a room to talk to, right? And they all saw the value of, of surrounding themselves with people who were at least as smart or not smarter than they are to ask questions and to explore opportunities with, because it, it adds in every aspect of all those ingredients that we're trying to bake our cake with to get that productivity, right? So I have a class where I teach people that I ask, give me an example of technology. It's almost harder to think of something that isn't technology because even a rock can be technology if you bang it against something, right? So you have to think, what doesn't curiosity fix almost? You know, it helps all the way through the company. And do you feel like helping all the way through the company, is it something that is transversal? As in, you know, especially when you're talking about fear um, to some extent and, you know, kind of barriers you're experiencing as you're implementing it? Is that something that you're seeing, especially is it happening more with your employee base or more with your managers or your leaders? Like where are you seeing maybe some of the pushback? Well, it's hard to answer because it's so different for each thing. I think with men and women, it was pretty close, you know, like there were some aspects of like women had worse a little bit on fear and men had worse on assumptions, and they, but they were really close on all of the different levels, right? It's based on the company more. If the culture is bad at the top, then you're going to have more of the leaders are going to have more problems. And then lower down, it's, it's trickled down and, and it becomes uh, kind of like a virus. The whole place becomes that way. You know what I mean? And so that that's the problem. I, I often speak to women's groups just because they ask me because I'm a female to come in and talk to these groups. I don't focus just on women. But I think it's interesting because I'll put up a slide to show the difference on men and women on some of these. And then I'll put up a slide of the top 500, uh, Fortune 500 leaders who are women and what they said made them reach this level of success. And I've included like Mae Jemison, the first black woman astronaut, and then uh, Oprah and people, people that they recognize names, you know, in, in addition. And without a doubt, all of them, they, they use some form of the word curiosity, either, you know, uh, openness to experience or out of status quo thinking. So it's interesting to look at the male versus female, though, because there's an Oxford study where the men are two and a half times more likely to ask questions than women. And after watching a seminar, a live presentation, right? And women are less likely to point out, like, if I noticed your picture frame, maybe it was crooked or something, I wouldn't say anything, but a man might go, hey, you got to fix your <laughs> picture frame over here. But a woman will go, maybe it's me. I'm just looking at it wrong. You know? And, and so there is a difference between the men and the women in a little bit. Women like to have more questions asked. Like after six questions, they'll start raising their hand. We're men right away. You know, no problem. And a lot of that is how we've managed to interact within the workplace. Women have been in there less time. They've had less opportunities. And, you know, so, so there is a difference in that respect, but as far as from top to bottom, it's all different co companies. I've seen different things. And usually what you'll see is if the leader doesn't embrace curiosity, the culture becomes more and more toxic. And either that leader ends up being outed or the people leave. 
who want to have a curious culture. And, and now when employees are telling you, this is what you got to give me for a job, which is what we're seeing, you really have never had a more important time to embrace curiosity, to find out how to keep the best people because somebody else is going to get them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it kind of goes into that, you know, I said, they approach it with that mindset and you know, they're going to be that type of employee and they're probably going to be, they know that they're high potential. So being able to have those skills, because like, like we said in the very beginning, curiosity is not something, you know, you might have more here, more there based on different continuums. However, it is something that you can't just like turn on. You do need to work at different attributes of it. Was there anything when you took the assessment that surprised you? I think the technology really threw me because I'm a millennial. Uh-huh. You know, I grew up. I hear that a lot from millennials that that's yes. the one. I was like, I had a computer growing up and I was the person in the house that would, you know, I knew all the passwords to everything. I set up the America online. I set up everything with the television. I set up everything with the internet. And so to me, I dealt with generations like my parents and my grandparents who would be like, I don't understand and just throw their hands up and walk away. And I was the person like figuring it out. So to me, being asked that question, I was like, no, why would, why would technology stop me? Why would that, you know, cause I guess I'm more sensitive to it. Cause I do know people as well as a time before computers that happened when I was like in elementary school, let's say. And so some of those really threw me, but there are times when like Facebook changes its user interface. I'm like, uh, I'm like, Oh, am yeah. I one of those? and I actively try hard against it. So I would say the ones being like f- being scared based on, technology or being willing to understand technology and how that might affect those ones definitely was like, Oh, interesting. Yeah. 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 Well, it is interesting. And, and, you know, even some of the things you can't change, like how you were raised or, you know, if your teachers answered your questions and things like that, it opens up the door for the conversation. And, and that's what the training class is so great about is because your people, you see these light bulbs come on in people's minds, like, Oh, I just would have liked that, but then that was why I didn't go that way. And maybe I could explore that a little bit more now. And, you know, and and it gives you a foundation behind creating your goals of why, you know, what would interest you now. And, and just the, the brainstorming of ideas of what people, you know, drive a different way to work, just whatever, read a different page of the newspaper, just basic, you know, curiosity kind of questions. It's fun to just ask those kinds of things. You know, what could you do different to, to learn something today kind of questions. And I think having curiosity month and some of the things that some of these big companies do, it's great. I think sometimes, you know, we think, well, if we just pay people to learn more, that's enough. It's, it's, it's not enough. It's good. It's a start. But we have to work on the culture and we have to work on individuals to find out what's stopping them. And we're seeing that all the time of making a learning culture apparent because it's not just providing it. Just because you pave the road doesn't mean that they're going to walk on it. So you really do need to make sure that that learning culture is there and it's embedded and same thing with curiosity as a key component. Well, I know we are heading up on time and I just wanted to thank you so much for joining us in our podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure with your experience and your expertise. So thank you so much for all of your valuable insight and knowledge into curiosity at the workplace today. Well, thank you for having me. I think what you're doing is so wonderful. I think we all could use more knowledge and we all could develop our sense of curiosity. And I I had such a great time working with your whole group, creating the whole training program. And I hope that this session has helped people as well. Thank you for joining us today. We hope to see you again for the next episode of the Cross Knowledge Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues.